If you take your Bibles, I'm going to join you in Luke 22 in just a second. Luke 22 or Mark chapter 14. We'll be reading out Luke 22. Let's do a little bit of waking up this morning since it's such a nice cloudy morning. At what age do people stop looking forward to their birthdays? Never? <laughs> 30? 30 is going to be the number one answer. Can you believe it? What other ages? 40 is going to be up there. 16 or 60? 16. 16. Okay, once you get your license, you don't care. Is that what it is? Okay. Here's what they said. 70, 60, 21, 50, and then the number one I said was 40, uh, was 30. Name something a bride would hate to find out she's allergic to at her wedding. Flowers that she's using in the bouquet. Her husband. Okay, that would be the, the wrong moment, to, and it's up there, by the way. Other answers? What's that? Anybody else? The food at the reception, that's up there. Anything else? Here's what they said. The food at her reception, her dress. Yeah. The groom, her wedding cake, number her ring. Some people have an allergy to the rings. And then, okay. Name a profession you seldom see these people joking around. Undertaker is up there. Okay. Okay. What's that? Policeman? It's going to be up there. Doctor? I'm not sure if the doctor's up there. I forget. Coroner, mortician? Yep. Undertaker? Scientist? That's not up there, but... Pastors? Definitely. That's not up there. Okay. <laughs> mortician, police, teachers, judges, politicians, doctors, and number one was lawyers. Yeah. Name something drivers ought never to do when taking a behind-the-wheel driving test. You're there under the test, something you ought never to do. Text on your phone. What's that? Holler at another driver. <laughs> okay. Have both hands on the wheel? That's the, you shouldn't do. Oh, you shouldn't. Oh, then keep them on. Keep them on. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else that you shouldn't do? What's that? Play the radios? Okay. <laughs> Food or eating is up there. Yeah. Argue with the instructor? Anything else? Not wear a seatbelt. That's good. One of our young people took a test several years ago and said, I was only doing 30 in a 25, but you're allowed five miles over the speed limit. And it's like, yeah, that's an unwritten rule. That's not part of this thing. Uh, several of them that were up there, speeding was number one. Name a vehicle you can hear coming before you see it. Truck is there, semi-truck's there. A Harley, a motorcycle, yeah. Train. Any others? A an ambulance is up there, yeah. Fire engine is up there. Plane, ambulance, ice cream truck. <laughs> Do you, are they still around? Yeah, okay. Fire truck, police car, motorcycle, train, and semi-truck was number one. Name a food you might cover with chocolate. Everything. It's one of the, it's a basic food group, okay. Seriously, something you might dip in chocolate. Not coconut. The coconut's not, it said food, food. Okay. Strawberries is going to be up there. Karma. Bacon. Chocolate-covered bacon? Wow, you get grease and chocolate all at one time. You cover everything. Ants, pretzels, raisins, nuts, cherries, ice cream, and number one was strawberries, somebody said. Name a reason or occasion why somebody might send you flowers. Anniversary, birthday. Valentine's Day is going to be up there. You're sick. Sick is there. I don't know if Mother's Day is there. It should be. Okay. Uh, having a baby. Okay. A death in the family. Here we go. A funeral, sick, in love. Oh, yeah. Right? Should we say in love, in love, in love, in love, in love? Anniversary, Valentine's Day. Number one was a birthday. Uh, wind down. Name something you might find in a hospital. Doctors will be there. Patients is going to be there. That's a good one. Okay. Nurses. What? Germs. 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 Is, <laughs> Germs. 
Here, let me see what they have. Diseases, there you go, there you go. Diseases and sickness, babies, drugs, needles, patients, beds, nurses, and number one was doctors. Name something people worked, the last one. What did they work hard to get out of? Out of work. <laughs> out of debt, that's going to be up there. What's that? Work hard to get out of the car? Yeah, well, sometimes that works. That's true, that's true. Depends on the car and depends on the person. Anything else? Pardon me? A family reunion. Let's quote her on that. <laughs> if Sandy's calling and giving you a bum excuse, she's working hard. House projects, doing homework, bad. The bed, I think, is true. Okay, jury duty, jail, traffic tickets, trouble, debt, number one was work. Here we go. We're in Luke chapter 22. And those of you just joining us this morning, we started here last week, and we're talking about prayer. We're trying to be practical about it. Luke 22 is where we're at this morning. Um, and so what we started last week is we're basing it, this whole idea in prayer, where Jesus' disciple said in Luke chapter 11 after he had prayed, teach us to pray. And then he goes on and gives them what we know as the Our Father. So what we want to talk about this morning is some of the aspects of prayer. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 22 because that's where the text we want to be in this morning. But let's remind ourselves where we were last week. We said, just to be very simplistic, just be very, very uh, mundane about this, there's three good reasons why to pray. Number one, we said last week, is God requires it. And we gave you lots of different passages where God commands or encourages or he even just assumes that we are praying. So it's something God requires, that God requires that we get involved with prayer. Okay, let's, uh, we'll go a little bit further. God rewards it. There's lots of passages, Old Testament, New Testament, about if you call unto me, I will hearken unto you, where he talks about the idea that he says, I will praise thee because you have heard me, you have become my salvation. The Lord is rich unto all who call upon him. Jeremiah, that idea, then you shall call upon me, you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. We, we had lots of different passages. Ask and shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock and shall be opened. M many different texts that whatsoever you ask in my name, I will do, especially Jesus is talking about that in the Last Supper situation where he is speaking about it and encouraging and giving the disciples last minute instructions. He gives them encouragement that he's going to listen to them. Then we concluded, we said, okay, this is something that's, that's true as well. Jesus did it. If Jesus was involved in prayer, then obviously we ought to be in prayer as, as well. And this is the text that we were talking about last week, Luke chapter 11. And we made this comment that 20 times in the gospel, Jesus is mentioned about him praying, sometimes briefly, sometimes all night long. That's going to be one of our texts. In fact, that's our morning text as we're talking about one of his prayers that Jesus prayed, and we're going to examine it in length this morning and that idea of him praying. So here's what we're talking about, okay? Jesus is praying. Jesus is the disciples. He's teaching them to pray, and yet after he's given them instruction, after he's been doing it, and they were so motivated by his example, they come to him in Luke chapter 11, and they say, we want to do what you're doing. They're excited. They want to pray. Do they still struggle with prayer? They did. They did. Luke chapter 22 is a story that talks about how they struggled in a certain setting. And we're all familiar with it because we're coming around that, uh, that anniversary, if you would, of that Passion Week. And uh, when we come to that point, we come to that evening where Jesus has finished up the Last Supper. And when it's all done on that Thursday evening, they go to the Garden of... Yeah, and then what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. Okay, let's pick up the story. Let's talk about it. in Luke chapter 22 where he's talking about that whole aspect of that prayer story. We'll pick up, um, uh, let's talk, let's jump down a little bit further than what I had thought. Um, we want to go all the way down to verse 39, okay? Verse 39. He came out and went as he was in the ideas and the habit. The want and the old King James idea was this was a pretty much of a habit. To come to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And when he was come at the place he said unto them, pray that you enter not into temptation. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. And he said, Father if you be willing remove this cup from me. Nevertheless not my will but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, as it were, became what? Great drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to the disciples, he found them doing what? By the way, there's another descriptive term there. Why are they sleeping? 
for sorrow. Okay, we'll come back and talk about that. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now, this is an abbreviated form. How many different times did, they, did he come back and forth with them? Okay, there's three occasions. He went, he told them, went away, comes back the second time, rebukes them, goes away, comes back the third time, and they're sleeping again, and he just says, sleep on, and then the, the arrest comes. Let's make some observations, okay, about disciples and prayer. One of the reasons that we struggle sometimes with prayer is like the apostles of old, we often don't keep in mind how much we really need to pray. Okay, we do this with other things in our life. We know that we really need certain things. And so we make sure that we have the time, we have the energy, that we focus on them. That we say, we really need to eat. We really need to get our rest. We really need to go to work and make an income. And so we focus on that. But the area of prayer that it doesn't seem until we get into a crisis or we get into an elderly point that we realize the importance of prayer. The disciples had that struggle. Jesus had given them the importance of prayer. In this text, the story just read, what does Jesus point out was the need for the disciples to be praying? They had a need. What was their need to be praying? Lest you fall into temptation. How many times did he say it? Okay. In the text that he says it twice, he warns them that they are going to fall into temptation. And so the idea of repeating it is obviously this is a truism. Okay, now Jesus is compelled to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, then let's make this simple, simple remark. If he had to pray, so do we. But he commands the disciples and he tells them on multiple occasions, that's twice that we know of, that he said you, you, you need to pray, you need to pray lest you enter into the temptation aspect. And so what is, what's knowledgeable here, what's aware, uh, what's revealed here is that Jesus knows what's coming for them. He warns them because he knows what's ahead. You're going to have temptation that's going to be coming. And the idea is that you won't give in to the temptation. Now think about this. The disciples, are they already, are they knowledgeable about spiritual things? Have they been trained? Yeah, a long, enough training that Jesus is leaving. He's given them enough training. He's going to guide them later on. But the point is that he's telling them that they need to pray and it's not your education that's going to carry you over. It's not that the idea that, hey, you've done great things in the past. You've cast out demons. You've preached. Therefore, you've got enough experience. You'll be able to handle it. He says, no, 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 no. Despite your experience, despite your education, despite no matter how determined, remember just moments before this, they, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And what did all of them say? Well, Peter started it. Peter said, I will do what? I'll never betray you. I will, I will die. Did he mean that? Yes. Yeah, he was genuine. In fact, in the garden, what does he do? That shows that he's willing to risk his own life. He, yeah, he attacks the Roman mob with a you know, fisherman's knife. And he's not real good with it. Okay, when he tries to kill somebody, he misses and, well, he got close, but takes off the servant's ear. Not even a soldier. He takes off a servant. So it's not that the fact that he wasn't wanting to follow the Lord. It wasn't the fact that there wasn't initiative. The fact was there is an inability. Now Peter's confident. Peter's motivated. But we need more than motivation and confidence. We need to pray lest we enter into temptation. And the problem is that some of us, probably even this morning, went through the morning already without taking time to prayer because we were very confident we knew how to do the worship thing and that we, were, we had it all down pat. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you need to pray. There's another helpful hint that comes out of the text. Like the apostles of old, we often give in to our flesh that wants to do other things than pray. But here, here's the reality. Prayer is the most intimate spiritual activity we can do besides reading the Word of God. God speaking to us and us speaking to God. It's a communion time. It's a fellowship time. And despite it being so intimate and so important spiritually, is it easy to drift mentally when we're praying? 
It's one of the most difficult tasks. Well, maybe that's because it's the most intimate task, so it becomes the most difficult task. And so like the apostles of old, we can all of a sudden struggle with praying for any length of time. Jesus has told them, keep on praying. It's a command. It's mentioned twice where he says, pray, pray. It's a keep on praying type of an idea. But they wanted to sleep. Their bodies wanted to sleep. Being practical about it, why were they tired? If you're teaching this story to a kid and they say, how come they're tired? What's the reasons why? Okay, they just ate a big meal. What happens to you after turkey? Okay, it's an annual feast. By the way, this was their annual feast they just had. Okay, what else? There's a reason they had a big meal. You said something? What do you mean by emotionally? Yeah. Yeah, think about how was that meal for them? They ate a big meal, but during the big meal, were they up and down emotionally? Okay, when they start the big meal, what are they emotional about when they're coming into the big meal? It's, a, it's just a little hint in Luke chapter 22 that the disciples came in and they were discussing. I'm, I'm putting a kind word there. They were arguing over who's the greatest. So they've already been, they started the evening off ticked at each other. Okay, who's the best here? Who's going to sit next to Jesus? They're, they're all concerned about their seating order. Okay? And then in the meal, Jesus drops a couple bombshells on them. Right? What did he say to them that just threw them? I'm going to leave tonight. I'm leaving. And they're like, do you remember, remember the phrase, let not your heart be... He says it twice. Okay? It means your heart's pulled apart. You understand that. Have you ever had somebody say to you, somebody really close, I'm leaving? And you're just, whew. and then what, what's the next bombshell he drops on them? One of you is going to betray me tonight. And they, they all looked and said, it's Judas. No, no. They all asked this question. Is it me? Is it me? They're in turmoil. They're, they're, they're confused. They're, they're just, and then they start making these promises. You know, when, when Jesus says, you know, one of you is going to deny me, and Peter says, and Peter, bless his heart, Peter says, everyone here will, might deny you, but I won't. Boy, see, I have confidence in his companions. But then remember, they've just been arguing over who is the... So he doesn't have, hold them up in high esteem, okay? And so he's doing it, and Jesus is saying and all these things. And then, and then Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, and you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to send you another comforter. But when you go into the world, here's what you can expect. After I'm gone, here's what you can expect. Here's your third bombshell. What does he tell them? Whatever they do to the master, they're going to do to you. And they hate me. They're going to kill me. So here's what you get to look forward to, guys. You're going to die. You're going to die for the cause. This is an exciting meal. This has been just an emotional up and down meal, and it's been, it's, it's been exhausting. In fact, what does Luke say? They went to sleep because of what emotion? For sorrow. They are overwhelmed by the emotions of it. So why do you go to sleep if you're really upset? For some of you, you can't sleep. But what, what does sleep provide when you're really, really upset? Okay. Is there, is there some type of escape in sleep? Because you can, in your dreams, any of you dream regularly? You can kind of get rid of the trial if you think hard enough in your dream. And so they're, they're exhausted. Any other reason why they might be exhausted? They've just eaten a big supper. They had a really horrendous meal up and down emotionally. It's late in the day. In fact, uh, what about the, the lights in town? What about the sun shining? This is in the middle of the night. And Jesus is going to pray for how long? The indication is he's praying. Maybe, you know, there's this hourish long prayer time. Okay, you pray for an hour in the middle of the night. Okay, you're gone. <laughs> okay, we add all those things together. We say, hey, this is, this is the reality. Remember, they've had a busy day. So it's been the day preparing, and so they're worn out. The reality is they're worn out. And so, you know, they're, they're falling asleep, and the, the Spirit is, well, this is the text. 
The spirit is willing, but the... This is the text that it comes from. It is that idea, the story that it's when you want to pray and all of a sudden, man. And especially, especially if they're laying down in the Garden of Gethsemane, when your body lays down, what does your body tell your brain to do? Go to sleep. Okay, so here they are. Can I ask you a simple, silly question? You want to pray. You don't want to sleep. Okay, How, what do you do? What you, if you're tell, telling somebody else here in the room saying, man, when I sit down in that recliner and I lean back and I take my Bible, I just find myself, I fall asleep time and time again. What, what practical tips might you give that person? Well, the, get, get out of the recliner and get into a different chair. Okay, that's a, possible, that's a practical step for some of us. Pray out loud. You don't fall asleep when you're talking out loud? I do, and I'm preaching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. If we're praying out loud, that can help some of us, right? Okay, okay. Anything else that you might be able to do? What's that? What do you mean by that? Oh. Okay, okay. So you're picking a time frame that says, okay, let's, let's adjust the time frame. If I'm really tired, don't do it at... Don't do it after supper. Okay. I, I, and I've not, not done this typically just because I know myself. I don't understand having my prayer time when I crawl into bed. You know, for me. Because when I crawl into bed, now I can read, and I don't mind reading, but closing my, to pray, my eyes and praying. When we do this at times when we pray together, at night when we're in bed, she falls asleep while I'm praying. <laughs> I'm praying and she goes to sleep. And then when she prays, I go to sleep. Okay. So we're mutually involved at times because we're tired. Okay? And so that's usually not a good time for prayer time. Anything else you might suggest that somebody could do just to help keep focus when they're praying? Get up and walk? Yeah, seriously, if you're going to fall asleep and you're walking, okay, that's a... But do you ever do this? Do you just... Pick a spot and you start walking around and just walk while you're praying. I would suggest this seriously. You know, if you find a spot, you got your little prayer closet, maybe it's only this big and you're just walking this way. But, uh, but it could be helpful to, stay, to help you focus, to stay out of the sitting, laying down posture, move around a little bit. Anything else you might do? Yes, ma'am. That's, that's a tremendous way. You write things down, the prayers themselves, okay? Uh, prayer lists, they're helpful. So a pen and a paper to be writing down things because it's, yeah. and I know we fall asleep. I have some, you know, even when we're writing, I remember, uh, I, I can still do this, I can pull out my college notes and there are times in my college notes that all of a sudden the, the, the scribble goes, dee beep, dee beep, dee beep, dee beep, dee beep. <laughs> you know, it's like my heartbeat going while I fell asleep during that class. But it's, it helps to be a little bit focused if you're doing that in your prayer life. Anything else that you might do? Keep your eyes open? Keep your eyes open? That, you can't pray with your eyes open. Is that practical? Yeah, and can you pray with your eyes open? Yeah, yeah. Can we pray like this sometimes? Raising our hands to the Lord? Is that ungodly to do? No, in fact, what does Scripture say? Yeah, but doing posture-type things to help you in your prayer time, um, keeping your eyes open. Okay, th th there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're praying when you're driving. I would strongly suggest keep your <laughs> eyes open for other people's sake. But, you know, s switch it up. Think about something you could do to help you to pray. Don't defeat yourself in prayer by putting yourself in difficult moments physically to pray. If it means, like Sandy said, then if, 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 it's a, if, if you typically pray in the morning, but you've had a bad night of sleep, well, maybe then you want to move your prayer time that day to something different. Or maybe you want to add to your prayer time a sing time, you know, where you're, where you're singing and doing different things, but do something, do something, you know, pick, make, make some practical changes that you could do. And by the way, if you're really tired, go to sleep. Okay, get some sleep. Okay, uh, for some people that it's oh, I've got to I've got to work through this prayer time, or I'm not godly, but I keep on sleeping. Maybe you should just get to sleep, 
and then pick up your prayer time later where, you can, where you're wide awake. Um, here's what happens. Like the apostles of old, we often fail to, uh, to realize how much others are relying upon us for prayer. Okay, we sometimes fail to realize, I really need this. We struggle, struggle with our flesh, and so we gotta, we got to combat our flesh. And then there's that idea that other people are relying upon us. Now, you know the story that Jesus at this moment, what are his emotions? This text and other texts give you little hints of what's his emotions. He's grieving? How do you know that? He's weeping. He's sweating drops of blood. Some of the texts say this. Okay. Yeah. Look at the, look at the different passages. He began to be sore amazed and very distressed. Being in agony, sweat drops of blood, exceedingly sorrowful unto death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Okay, so what they want us to realize is Jesus is, yeah, I mean, he's in pain. Not physically, that's coming, but he's in pain, yeah. And he's, he's banking on somebody else helping him. And that somebody from his human perspective is he's saying to the disciples, I want you to pray with me. I want you to sympathize. I want you to empathize. I want you to be a part of this. Pray with me, not just for your sake, because you need it, but pray with me because this is the human humanity of Jesus. What is he saying? I need your prayers. I need your prayers. Again, you say, well, how does this blend the humanity and the deity? We'll never understand it, okay, how that all blends. But we know that it did. We understand that Jesus is asking the disciples to pray with him. Though he's God-man, here, here's a thought for you. God-man, he prayed for his own needs. For some people, and we run into this frequently, people will say, well, if I pray for my own, I think I'm being selfish. No, 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 no. Probably the person that can best pray for your needs is you because you know him to the best of your abilities. So there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. But Jesus, though he's God, wanted the prayer support of his closest friends. And he wanted it so much that he was greatly bothered by the lack of prayer. Can't you watch with me one hour? Can't you? And he comes back and says that twice to him. So you have to ask yourself, who is relying upon you for prayers? There are, there are some people that, that innately are relying upon you for prayer. Probably your family members, your offspring, your parents, your brothers and sisters. They assume that they can count on you for prayer support. Are they getting it? Um, I innately rely upon you for prayer support. Uh, when I come here on Sunday mornings, when we meet as a staff and we pray, we thank God for the prayers that have already been lifted up for the upcoming service. We, we just assume you're praying for the services, that you're praying for the preaching during the course of the preparation for the organization of the service, that you're praying for music, you're praying for the invitation, you're praying. So, we, we obviously rely upon you. That list of the prayer and care corner, like Sister's comments last night, she, she said, make sure you tell everyone, thank you for praying for me. What did she assume? How many? She said, everyone. People are, are banking on you praying for them, and me praying for them. It's just, it's, it's an innate thing in a body of Christ that we bank on each other for praying. Jesus does. And so we need to remember that. Others are banking on my prayer time. Number four, like the apostles of old, we erroneously think that our prayers really won't make that much different. One of the texts that is used to promote this fatalism, this idea that whether I pray or not, God will do whatever he wants, that idea that God is, and, and I'm not sure... You know, I want you to listen closely. I believe God is sovereign. I truly believe that. That God can do anything he wishes to do. Okay? There are certain things God doesn't wish to do. Right? Okay. So in that sense, I'd say, well, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? <laughs> he doesn't wish to contradict himself. Okay, uh, and so there, God is able to do anything he desires to do. And he is sovereign in our life to the point that he can manipulate circumstances, but he also puts barriers up that are like, you've got this whole yard, and you've got free will within this yard. 
Because if, you, if God is in such control of you constantly that you don't have choice, then when you sin, who made you sin? I, I don't believe this doctrine. But this fatalistic doctrine says that God made Adam sin. God didn't make Adam to sin. God didn't create sin. Did he know what was going to happen? Yes, but that doesn't mean he makes it happen. There is, a, there is an element of free, free will, okay? And that blends where God is sovereign, but there's also free will that's involved. And within that free, free will, God allows me some choices but does he also have parameters that he doesn't allow us to get out a certain, a certain gate, so to speak? Yeah, he can do that. He can do that. And so within this parameters, we have this free will idea. And so those who are fatalistic say, well, it makes no difference to pray because every little nuance, God knew I was going to wear a yellow shirt today, and so I had no choice in what color of shirt I wore today because God preordained my yellow shirt. I don't think that's, I don't think God, does God know if I'm wearing yellow? Sure. Does God know, you know, how many hairs the humidity took out of my head this morning already? <laughs> God knows that. Okay. But do I also have free choice in a lot of things? So do you. We do. And so I don't believe in fatalism when we come to pray. I just think that there are choices that I need to pray for wisdom in some of the choices that I get. Yes, no? Okay, so with that in mind, we're talking, okay, did, and, and the argument is made out of this passage that God will do whatever God wants no matter what we pray. And this passage is the argument. This is one of the passages. Because what did Jesus ask God to do? Take away this, this cup. And God didn't even listen to Jesus. God allowed Jesus to suffer and die. And so what good does it do praying? He didn't even listen to his own son. That's not true by this text at all. That's because the premise of that whole argument is, you know, they don't understand what the cup is. The cup of wrath that Jesus is praying about, people think, oh, it's the suffering of the cross. It's the suffering of the torture. That is not true. That is not true biblically, okay, that at all. But if you say that, if you start with this premise that Jesus was praying, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to suffer, but your will be done. If, you're, if that's what your premise is, that that's what he was praying about, well, then I guess you can come to a fatalistic point of view. But that is not what he prayed about. That is not what he said at all. He wasn't saying, God, I don't want to go through pain. God, I don't want to suffer at all. I don't want to have to face this death, this cross. That is not what his prayer is at all if you compare Scripture with Scripture. Let me, let me go a little bit further here. And remind, I ended it with this last week. Um, something is happening with my clicker. We're froze. Can you move it forward or are you froze? You got it? Okay, there we go. Okay, um, Jesus is praying that's not to be spared the cross, da 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 Here's the reason I say that, okay? In Hebrews chapter 5, this is, this is the, now a commentary on what happened in Gethsemane. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard. Okay, Jesus prayed unto him and he was heard, answered positively is the Greek word, in that he feared because of his piety. So whatever he prayed for in Gethsemane, God gave him a yes answer. Okay, so when he's saying, I don't want to suffer, I don't want to die, no, that wasn't what he prayed about because he got a yes answer according to this text. What he was praying about, okay, that fits other scriptures as well, is Jesus made the comment, you always hear me, in a positive sense, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus. Just hours before Gethsemane, Jesus is in a crowd. His disciples are encouraging him, let's vacate Jerusalem. Now is my soul troubled, so what should I say? Save me? Get me out of here? This is the reason I came. He knew where he was going. 
He was determined. How does Isaiah say it? He set his face like a flint. Totally determined. Headed towards Jerusalem. Knowing he was going to die. He wasn't trying to escape the death. But what he is praying about when he says remove the cup from me. He is praying about that idea of eternal separation from the Father. Did he experience separation from the Father? He did. Because he calls out. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Good. Good theology. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But did he get restored? Yes, because at the end he says, Father, into thy hands. Okay, what was the difference there? My God, my God, and then how is he closed? Father. Okay, there's, there's the payment has been made. Remember he says, Tetelestai, or it is. Yeah, okay. And then the confirmation of all that is given on what day? The, the, the Sunday, the resurrection Sunday, God gave the physical evidence that everything is, yeah, please, I don't mean to be irreverent, but everything is all right hunky-dory between him and Jesus again. That's the cup he prayed, remove from me. Remove from me the eternal separation. And the Father did. He was hearkened unto. So we don't, can't look at this text and say, okay, our prayers don't make any difference. Our prayers make a difference. Okay? Jesus was listened to it into it. So the point is, God answers the prayers of the righteous. We need to pray like Christ did. Even in, even in our agonies and our torments, and, and by the way, the, the amazing part, think this through, okay, theologically, take it one step further. When Jesus said, remove this cup, in other words, I will pay for their sins, I will suffer all this, I am willing to do this, but I want to be restored to you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How long was he willing to be separated from the Father for you? You say, well, Jesus, Jesus, he was willing to remain separated forever for you. So when Jesus prays that, okay, we need to pray like Christ. We need to submit to the Father's will, but let's present the different requests to the Father. Your prayers can make a difference in results. Don't minimize praying because of false interpretations of these texts or false ideas that is a fatalism that God is in control of so many things that, you know, and we understand he's sovereign. We understand he controls things, but does he allow choice? Yes. Okay, and so let's do number five. Like the apostles of old, we fail to keep in mind what help could be ours with extended period of prayer. Jesus is in agony. Let's take his situation. Jesus is in agony. You've already said it. He is so in such turmoil, what is he physically doing? He's bleeding. Sweat drops of. Okay, great agony. Great agony. What, what, type, what, do, you, what do you think his body is feeling like? Exhausted? wore out. By the way, it hasn't been a busy day for Jesus. Okay, it's been a long day. He's been, he taught in that upper room and calmed down 11 excitable people. Okay? It's like 11 preschoolers. He was in the nursery by himself for several hours with them. Is that exhausting? Okay, now keep that, keep, you know, put, some, put some emotion and reality, you know, visualize some of what Jesus is experiencing. He's there, he's tired. Do you, you know, probably, and I don't know, but when he's walking back to the disciples, do you think he's walking back to the disciples? You know, Why couldn't you pray with me? Or do you think he's almost physically dragging himself to the disciples because of the turmoil? He prays. When he prays, okay, remember we've said all about this agonizing, after spending time in prayer, what happens? What does God do? God sends an angel to do what? That's why I say, I think Jesus is, is weak physically. From a human, humanity point of view, what does God provide for him? Strength, stamina that he needs. Then, he, then okay, after he's in this turmoil, when it's all said and done and he's been strengthened, now 
he, goes, he says, guys, let's go. He's renewed. Let's go, and they face that cohort of soldiers, which if we understand right, four to 600 soldiers, that have come marching. It's one of those vehicles you hear before you see them. You're hearing the tromping of hundreds of people coming into the Garden of Gethsemane, and the guys are going, what's that, what's that? And Jesus says, let's go, and which direction does Jesus go? Which direction should the, would, would the disciples think of going? Back door, and Jesus goes, front door. And then when he sees all these soldiers, he says, who do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he responds, I am. And what happens? They all fall down, okay? They all fall down. This isn't just nursery rhyme of going in a circle and then all fall down. This is power, absolute power, that Jesus, is, it's evidence they're not arresting him. He's letting them take him. He's made it very clear to who? Everyone. He's in charge. He's in charge. He's in control. He's got that strength. He's, you know, he's been refreshed. He's been rejuvenated by the ministry of God through the prayer time. Does that ever happen? Does God ever strengthen weakened, weakened, uh, weakened emotions through prayer? Does God ever strengthen minds that are like, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to face this illness. I'm not sure how we're going to get through this day with the loss of a loved one. Can God strengthen through prayer? The answer is absolutely, absolutely. Prayer helps you and me. So we look at all those, stories, those accounts, and then we say, okay, did the disciples, he's doing all this to teach the disciples. Did the disciples learn? Did the disciples, after, after the Gethsemane, after the death and the crucifixion, after the resurrection, when things clicked for them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, did they get it when it comes to the importance of prayer? Yeah, yeah. So we start going to the book of Acts, and we start reading about prayer being an absolute vital part of their life, their ministry, their church. When crises comes, what do they do time and time again? They turn to prayer. They turn to prayer. They turn to prayer. They don't anymore say, no, 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 this can't happen. Even when they're arrested, they're beaten, they pray and they say, thank you for allowing us to suffer in his name's sake total change of attitude because it's a total change of action because they've got the idea that prayer is profitable for them and so they're focusing on it. So you and I can read the story, we can put all the facts down, but it won't make any difference if we don't pray. Got to pray. Got to pray. And by the way, it's like a bicycle. What's the best way of learning how to do it? Get on it and do it. Okay? Just do it. Do it and grow in the process. Okay, so then you have to ask, you and I, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Okay, how do we do this? What do we do this week to help us to improve in our prayer life? Let, let's do another question. This is an important question theologically. Who can pray? Now, here, here's, here's the struggle. You have passages that are very broad-based. Men ought always to pray. You know, I will, that men pray. Ever. Are these gender-related verses? That only males. No, no, no. It's, it's what? Okay, mankind. I will that mankind everywhere pray. Okay, so it's not gender limited. Is it age limited? Adult people only. No, it can't be that. Okay, it can't be that. Is there any limit to that passage then? Is prayer a tool that God has laid out to say, I want anybody and everybody at any time, at all times, to come and I promise I will answer your prayers. You're not saying yes, you're not saying no. Wait a minute, now you're putting on a limitation. He can only pray for repentance. Okay, who did you say isn't, it doesn't apply to? Doesn't apply to lost people. Is that true? You said the only prayer that God promises to answer for a lost person is a prayer of repentance. 
Is this a, uh, is this a, is it an unsigned check given to every single person that they pray? <sighs> okay, so we have to ask, does God have limitations when he says, you know, mankind, any of you pray? Is there other times in Scripture that God says, I love everybody and I want everybody to be saved? And yet, is there a limitation to that in the practical outworking? Okay. So we look at the text and say, okay, there's not a gender limit, but are there stated restrictions elsewhere? And the answer is yes. Okay. That's like, um, I'm going to throw it out there. I know I'm going to open up Pandora's box. But here's the thought for you. At times we say, let's bring the lost to church. Let's bring the lost to church. Let's get the lost to church. Okay. The only problem is, Church services aren't necessarily supposed to be designed for the lost. Okay. Is there an element that they can be there and they can learn? Yes. But the, the problem is, can a lost person really worship? No. So I'm not inclined to, to, to say, okay, let's make our church so friendly, seeker, sensitive that the whole design of the church, of the worship service is for the lost. No, the design of the worship service is for save people to worship. Does that make sense? Okay. Does that mean lost can't come? No, because he says even if the unsaved come in and they see you in Corinth doing the goofy stuff, they'll think you're crazy. So we know that there was some lost element coming. But what is going to impact them is true worship by the believers. And so, by the way, that, that's a huge philosophical approach to how you do church services. Who's the church service for? Who's it supposed to be designed to help worship? It goes back to this idea, okay, what about prayer? There is some limitations in Scripture. The limitations are, one, you have to be saved. To have a promise to have an answer to prayer, you have to be born again. There are multiple passages about this that the, wicked, the Lord is far. Make sure you make a note of this. We changed the mics. Thanks, Rich. Uh, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer that our Father implies a relationship with God right off the bat. That idea, again, where you have as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In a sense, are all people part of the creation of God? Yes. Are they, in a sense, a product of God's work? Yes. So, in that sense, are they all children of creation? Yes. But is everyone in the family of God? No. No. They have to become the sons of God, and that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed, that we should be called the sons of God. The world doesn't know him. And so we have that, re that repetitious idea that we come to God because we know we're not condemned. Therefore, we have whatever we ask. It's for saved people. Let's take it a step further. Not only is it for saved people, but there is some other restrictions in Scripture, okay, for answered prayers. You've got to be those who are seeking Him. Save people who are seeking him. Ask, seek, knock, call unto me, I will answer you. That idea early in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer to you. You have not because you ask not. The idea is that God doesn't promise to answer our prayers just because we're saved. We've got to come to him. We've got to beseech him. We've got to pray. We've got to, you know, there's an aspect of seeking him. Then there's this aspect. There is an aspect of holy living. That sense of, okay, God says this, even as a believer, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord's not going to hear me. God isn't going to answer in a positive way. He says to the people that James is writing to, those Hebrew believers, you are adulteresses, you're, you're adulterous, knowing not that friendship in the world has put you in enmity of God. By the way, that verse, the previous verses are talking about you don't get. You are praying, but God's not answering. Why? Because you're asking wrong. You have... You have a wrong uh, fellowship with him because you're not living in a way that's pleasing to him. The effectual fervent prayer of a what man? Righteous man. Okay, so there's got to be some aspect of proper living, I believe, okay? And I've got to be seeking him, but I also have to have an aspect of holiness in my life. There needs to be a submissive spirit. 
We read these passages and we forget a clause in there. Whatsoever you shall ask, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father, he will give it to you. I left out a clause. In his name or in my name. What does it mean you come in my name? Truth. We don't come in our own holiness, our own righteousness. We're coming because Jesus has invited us. But there's another truth here. The truth that when we come in Jesus' name, I am willing to ask for things that Jesus is behind. He's supportive of. I'm willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. There's that submissive aspect that is saying we receive things because we keep his commandments, but when he says, he says, you know, ask me, I will give you the desires of, my, of your heart. Remember Psalms? I'll give you the desire. But what does the first part say? If you delight, your, you delight in me, delight yourself in me, then I'll give you the desires of the heart. What does it mean to delight yourself in, in God? God, whatever you want. God, I want to please you. I want to bring you glory. So I'm not asking, help me to win the lottery just so I get money so I can go and do my own thing. Okay? It's God, help me to meet my needs. Help me to whatever way is honorable to you to get so my needs are being met. And so there's a submissive aspect here to get that, those answers. There is also the idea that we've got to have the Word of God in us. We've got to be students of the Word of God. Simple verse. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Why is God saying, hey, listen, when you, when you come to me in prayer, make sure you, you've been looking at this Word. Make sure you understand this Word. Make sure you're learning this Word. Why? Because this Word helps us to understand what to pray for. Does it not? Doesn't it help to guide to say, wait a minute, what is the most important things in life? What is to be the priority here? What, is, what, am I, what is this all about? Me or is it about bringing glory to God? Serving other people. And so those different aspects are very, very important. Now, we don't, we're not going to embark on it, but are there specific statements in Scripture that say, if you pray and you've got this in your life, I'm not going to listen to you. Does he ever say that in Scripture? If you have a husband or a wife, I'm not going to listen to you? I knew there's more to it than just that. Okay. Yes. First, first Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, Likewise, ye husbands, live with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the weaker vessel. That, and then he goes on and says, Being heirs together, lest your prayers be hindered. Okay, there are multiple passages that say this, that say, hey listen, if you're praying but this is happening in your life, I'm not listening. I'm not answering. There's a number of passages. We don't have enough time, so let's hang on to that in two weeks. Next week we'll have that uh, breakfast fellowship. But hang on to this right here, we'll pick up there. You got a couple minutes, oh I'm done early. Mark it down. We're in, we're in Easter miracle season. I'm done 30 seconds early.